Well, today um, we will finish uh, the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 is our text today. And I said, we're going to finish the story of Jonah, but we're still going to have one more message from the book of Jonah because um, really the story that's in the story of the story of Jonah continues. It really does. So we're going to take one more look at Jonah next week. But this week we finish Jonah with uh, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And you know, before we go ahead and turn there in your Bible if you want to, um, and we'll get to that in a minute. We'll be looking at the text together um, this morning. You know, I um, well, have you ever found yourself working opposite, unintentionally maybe, with someone else? You know, there's this uh, there's this story. I don't know if this even has ever really happened. You know, but it's one of those things that gets told all the time. Where you know, a guy sees he's getting a new neighbor, and the new neighbor's you know struggling to get the washing machine you know in the door of the of the new new house. And so he goes over and says, "Hey, let me give you a hand with that." And they start working, and they're just not getting anywhere, and they're working and they're sweating. And finally, you know, the the good Samaritan neighbor says, "Wow." I don't think we're ever going to get this thing in. And the, and the new neighbor's like, well, I'm trying to get it out. You know, that <laughs> there is no communication going on there, and they're working opposite. And I actually had an experience similar to that, and I got his permission to tell this story. So it's actually about someone here, about Mike. Okay, Mike Henson, our very own Mike Henson. Uh, a few months ago, Mike injured his, his pinky finger um, uh, at, at his, at his uh, workplace, um, FedEx, one of his workplaces. And um, and we were all over at Birdie's house, Keith Sparrow, okay, Keith and Claudia Sparrow, the the bird's nest, okay. And we were, we were over there, and and of course, you know, Mike was um, not not in an unmanly way, but Mike was complaining about the pain in his finger, and it was swollen up pretty big, and and we all were convinced that Mike jammed his pinky finger, right? And you know the cure for a jammed pinky finger, right? First, you take your finger and you flick it several times to kind of numb it a little bit. And then you just grab it and jerk real hard. Just pull on it. Wham! Just like that. And so we did that to Mike. In fact, we did that to Mike multiple times. And it didn't seem to really fix the problem. So Mike went on to the hospital. Uh, and we continued playing Axes and Allies or whatever we were doing. Yeah. No, I'm sure we were reading the Bible. And uh, we went on with our Bible study that related to, you know, World War II. And, um, and then um, Mike came back and informed us uh, that his pinky finger was, in fact, broken. And those flicks to numb it, we were actually flicking it right on the spot where it's broken. And that continuous pulling on uh, his pinky finger to put it back in place wasn't helping all that much. And in fact, Mike ended up having some pins put in his uh, finger uh, to repair uh, that break. And, um, you know, we thought we were helping Mike. But in reality, we were working against his health. You know, because what he needed isn't what we were doing. We, we were working opposite to that. We just didn't get it. And, you know, 
that's another thing that you know uh, is interesting to me. There's plenty of information out there for people who just don't get it, don't quite understand. Please don't ask the circumstances in which I found myself doing this, but I found myself reading the back of um, my degree antiperspirant container. Don't again, don't ask the circumstances. Just trust that I was in a situation where I didn't have anything else to do but read the back of that. And um, and do you know there's instructions on the back of your antiperspirant? And do you know what the first number one you know what number one is? Remove cap. Like I just picture some dude Man, this stuff doesn't work. I still stink, you know, because he didn't take the cap off the thing. It, you know, that's for somebody who doesn't get it. Um, shampoo. Again, don't ask the circumstances why I was reading the back of a bottle of shampoo. But there's also instructions on there. Do you know what the first instruction is on there? Wet hair. Do you know that if you're going to wash your hair, you have to get it wet? Do you know that? I hope you did. Yeah, people don't get it. And um, so this... And I think that most often the reason that people are working opposite of what they need to be working towards are because they just don't get it. And I think that's extra true or supremely true when it comes to working either with God or against Him and getting His grace. You see, we can find ourselves working opposite of God. And most often, I think we find ourselves working opposite of God because we just don't understand His grace. And I think we're going to find that true today as we look at chapter 4 of the book of Jonah. We're going to see that, that Jonah finds himself working opposite of God, finds himself opposing God because Jonah doesn't understand God's grace. So let's look at the, uh, the text together. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my, my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Actually, let me, let me do it again. Yes, I do angry enough to die, 
And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Well, if you've been following along, either listening to the podcast or if you've been here, you know, every every Sunday uh, and you, you know what's been happening in the life of Jonah. God uh, calls his prophet Jonah and Jonah is spoken of in other parts of the scripture of being a prophet in Israel, ministering during the time of Jeroboam, you know, prophesying during the time of Jeroboam. And and did that fa- we understand he did that faithfully. OK, and now God calls Jonah uh, to go to Nineveh, and Jonah immediately goes in the opposite direction. He leaves his land, gets on a ship, headed for Tarshish. He's running from God. His first response is to flee from God. God sends a storm. The sailors uh, on the ship that he's on are scared. Everyone's scared. Uh, finally, because they cast lots and do some things, they figure out that Jonah needs to be thrown overboard. In fact, Jonah confirms, yes, the only way to stop the storm and save yourselves is to throw me overboard because I, you know, I, quote, fear the Lord God who made the earth, the, the dry land and the sea. And so they throw Jonah in. Immediately the sea is calm. A giant fish comes and swallows up Jonah. And the sailors, are they fear the Lord God exceedingly and offer sacrifices and make vows to him. And then while in the belly of the great fish, Jonah prays a prayer of repentance and promises to God that he will fulfill his vow. He will go to Nineveh. And so the, uh, the whale vomits Jonah up onto the dry land. He makes the journey back into, on into Nineveh. And this is the message he preaches in Nineveh. Forty days more and Nineveh is overthrown. He travels one day into the cities of Nineveh, proclaims that message, and the people hear that message and they are, they are, their hearts are pierced, they're convicted of their evil, and they repent in prayer and fasting. In fact, the king of the city actually makes a calls for a day of of prayer and fasting and calls for public repentance. He said each one should turn from their evil ways and perhaps God will relent and not bring this disaster upon us that he uh, said he will. So the city repents. And so God does not bring the disaster upon the city. And Jonah, Jonah's response to that is in chapter 4. In fact, it says that Jonah was exceedingly displeased. Exceedingly displeased. In Hebrew, that's pretty strong. I mean, he was royally ticked off. This wasn't mild annoyance. Jonah was really angry. I mean, it, this was an anger that was consuming him. Strong language in Hebrew about the anger he felt. And, and, and that anger is expressed in his prayer to God. He says, God, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. I knew that you were a merciful and gracious God, abounding in steadfast love, showing mercy, and relenting from judgment. 
do you hear what Jonah is angry about? He's angry because God is merciful. He's angry because God is gracious. He's angry because sometimes we don't get what we deserve, which is judgment, destruction, death. God relents from his judgment. He puts off his justice till later. And Jonah's angry about that. And he tells God that in his prayers. God, I'm angry about that. In fact, here was, here was Jonah's response. I'm so mad I want to die. So, kill me now. Because if I can't have it my way, then I just don't want to be around for this. And then Jonah goes outside of the city of Nineveh. To wait to see what happens. Do you see what's going on there? Jonah is still holding out hope that God will destroy Nineveh. He's thinking, well, maybe, maybe their repentance will turn out to be false. Maybe they'll go right back to their evil ways. So he goes outside the city still hoping, still hoping that God will destroy Nineveh. That's, that's how deep his hatred goes for the Assyrians, for the Ninevites. And that is how opposite of God's heart Jonah's heart is at that time. Because he still wants to see the city destroyed. And he goes outside the city hoping that's what will happen. And of course, um, then God is going to... Um, give Jonah yet another example of what it means to receive grace, to receive mercy. You know, it's, uh, it's hot. Jonah goes outside the city. He builds, a, you know, a shelter, a booth, a shelter. And, but it's still hot. So God... In the night, sends appoints a plant. The plant grows up right there over Jonah. And when the sun comes out, it offers shade for Jonah. Offers shade. And it, it relieves him of his discomfort. That's what the scripture says. He's, his, he's relieved of his discomfort. Again, God mercifully, graciously cares for Jonah's needs. In a sovereign, miraculous way, let's not, you know, I mean... <laughs> A plant grows up right beside you and offers shade. It grows up large enough to offer shade overnight. I mean, come on. It's pretty amazing. Okay? And Jonah receives it. He's glad. You know, he was exceedingly displeased at the beginning of chapter 4. And about halfway through chapter 4, he's exceedingly pleased. He's exceedingly happy because he has a shade for his weary head from the heat of the sun. And then God appoints a worm to eat the stem of the plant so that it withers and dies. And then when the sun comes up, God sends a scorching east wind and Jonah is miserable again. Now the sun beats down on his head. I guess Jonah must have been bald because I know exactly what that's like. The sun beating down on your head. There's nothing worse than a sunburned head. And then you go to take a shower and the... Oh, that hurts. Okay. All right. So I understand that the discomfort of that. Okay. All right. 
So Jonah is now, he's back to, guess what? I want to die. I want to die. That, that's what Jonah's back to. And, and twice in chapter 4, God questions Jonah and asks him, Do you do right to be angry? And the first time, Jonah says no. Or he doesn't answer, I'm sorry. Jonah doesn't answer. He, when, when he says to God, God, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love. I knew that you would relent from the disaster if they repented. So I just want to die. And God says, do you do right to be angry? And then Jonah goes outside the city and what, I already, what we already talked about there. Uh, and now, again, after the plant dies... And Jonah is exceedingly displeased. God asks him, if you do right, to be angry about the plant. And Jonah thinks he's on safe ground. He says, yes! Yes, I do right to be angry about the plant. Angry enough to die. And God says to him, well, this plant, which you had nothing to do with, by the way, you didn't make it grow. It came up in a night... And it disappeared in a night. And you're angry about that plant. What about the people in the city? How about the people in Nineveh? There's 120,000 of them. You know, you cared about a plant that you didn't even have anything to do with. Care enough about it that, you're, that you want to die because it's gone. Because it's destroyed. Well, how about, how about the city of Nineveh? How about those people? Should I not be compassionate about them? Those 120,000 people who I've created in my own image? God says. Should I not be concerned for them? And then I think God gives a little dig at Jonah. He goes, oh yeah, there's a lot of cattle there too. You know, because Jonah's all worried about this plant. You know? You know, Jonah's like, oh, the plant, oh my gosh. You know, and I don't know if he cried, but he, he was certainly, but he's like, you know, mad enough over the plant to die. And God says, what about all these people created in my image? And then also there's cattle. Now, if you cared about a plant, well, how about all the cattle, you know? I think that's a little bit of a dig. I think it's a little bit of a dig at Jonah. But anyway, clearly, Jonah doesn't get it. And what he doesn't get is God's grace. Jonah misunderstands God's grace. Jonah, Jonah makes some fatal flaws when it comes to... Uh, th those fatal flaws demonstrate his misunderstanding, his l lack of grasping of God's grace. And that misunderstanding of God's grace puts him at odds with God. So, ironically, the book of Jonah ends where it begins. Jonah moving opposite of God. So what were those fatal flaws? And, and you're probably thinking, fatal? Well, Jonah didn't die, I know. Okay, but I'm going to tell you these, these mistakes are killing Jonah spiritually. Okay, they're killing him spiritually. They're destroying his relationship with God. Because he finds himself working, moving opposite of God. Okay? If you're opposing someone, are you in a good relationship with them? No. No. Not at all. 
Okay? And so Jonah doesn't get it, so he finds himself opposing God. And so what are those fatal flaws? Well, I think the first fatal flaw is that Jonah, Jonah's knowledge about God did not impact his knowing God. You see that in the first two verses. Right there in the first two verses, Jonah clearly recognizes that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah clearly clearly recognizes those as being some of God's qualities, parts of God's character. Okay, He has some knowledge about God. He knows some things that are true about God, but they don't impact his relationship with God. Because what is the relational element Jonah is feeling and expressing to God in relation to God's mercy, steadfast love, Patience and grace. What is it? Anger. He's angry. How is that an appropriate response to a loving, merciful, gracious God who's patient with you? How, how is that an appropriate response? Well, here's, here's the answer to that question. It's not. That's not an appropriate response. That is not an appropriate relational response to a God who is loving and merciful and gracious and patient with you. Okay? So, Jonah's knowledge about God has zero impact in his relationship with God. And that's because knowing and believing are two different things. Knowing and believing are two different things. We can know some things, but just simply not believe them. We can know them and not believe them because here's the deal. Belief is expressed in behavior. Belief is always expressed in behavior. You know, uh, there's tons of illustrations and examples of that, right? I mean, everything from the old school trust fall. You ever done a trust fall? You know what, that, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know. And if we had a little more time this morning, I might invite somebody up here and we've demonstrated because we've got this stage and that would be kind of cool, but we don't really have time for that today. Uh, so maybe next time. All right. But, but you know, the deal is you, you stand there and you, and the whole deal is, you know, you, you fall backwards and trust these three or four or five people to catch you so you don't fall and crack your head on the, on the floor or the ground, whatever. Okay. And the deal is, do you know there are people behind you? Yes. Uh, do you know that they're, you know, nice enough people and have no sick desire to see you fall and crack your head? Yes. Okay, you know those things. Do you believe it? Yes. Okay, fall. Ooh, don't know. That's, that's the ticket. Okay, you don't really believe it until you just go ahead and fall and let them catch you. All right? You know, my, my, another example of that is my mother. Uh, my mother, who's uh, 79 years old, has never in her life been in an airplane. Never in her life been in an airplane. Mom, do you believe airplanes are mechanically sound and can fly? Yes. Do you believe that airline pilots are highly trained and, uh, and know what they're doing? Yes. Um, do you believe that um, 
Air travel is one of the safest modes of transportation. If you take into account the number of passengers and miles traveled, yes. Will you get in a plane? Absolutely not. You know why? She knows those things, but she doesn't believe them. Because if she believed them, she'd get in a plane. And the same thing's true. Knowledge of God, that can just be things we know. We know those things, but we don't really believe them until we act upon them, until they impact our lives, until we show by our behavior. So if Jonah really believed that God was gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, his behavior would have expressed that. He would have rejoiced in, in the repentance of Nineveh so they would experience God's mercy and grace, that it would be displayed and God would be glorified because of it. That would have been believing those things to be true. But Jonah only knew them to be true, didn't believe. There's a difference between knowing and believing. And then there's something else that, that demonstrates that Jonah didn't get it when it comes to God's grace. Something else that demonstrates that, that Jonah's knowledge about God didn't impact his relationship with God, didn't impact him knowing God, and that is that God's action, God's activity, God's behavior, his, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his justice, his wrath, all of those things flow from his character. And when you know someone, you know their character, right? And then you know how they're going to behave. You know how they're going to act because you know them and you know their character. If Jonah really knew God and knew God's character, he would know that God would behave in this way. Because he would know God. Because God's action, his behavior, flows from his character. But not only... Did, did Jonah make this fatal flaw of his knowledge about God not impacting his knowing God? Jonah also practiced self-centeredness instead of God-centeredness. Look at, look at verses 3 and 4. Okay? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? <clears throat> I mean, what, what was Jonah talking about? Me, my, I, it's all about me. I'm so sad. I'm so angry. I want to die. Just take my life now. It was all about him. Where, Jonah wasn't, wasn't concerned about people in Nineveh. Jonah was concerned about himself and his desire for the people of Nineveh, which is their destruction. And Jonah wasn't really concerned about God. Jonah was concerned about himself and what he wanted. And at that moment, since he wasn't going to get the one thing he wanted, Nineveh's destruction, then the other thing he wanted was to die. Just want to die because I'm mad. That, that was Jonah's response because he was centered on self, not on God. And, you know, this self-centeredness, instead of God's, God-centeredness often results in anger instead of awe. I mean, think about it. This evil, 
city of Nineveh, the capital of an evil Assyrian empire that has on again and off again and on again and again will be a great enemy of Israel and Judah. They repent from their evil ways and turn to God because one guy preached one message for one day in the city. Isn't that miraculous? I mean, isn't that pretty amazing? What, what would happen if, okay, let me see, 120,000 people in Nineveh, do you know how many people are in Champaign-Urbana? Yeah, a little, little more than that. But you know what? Champaign-Urbana and Nineveh have a lot in common. They really do. About the same number of people. I think that, I think that um, we could say there's some evil in Champaign-Urbana. That wouldn't be an understatement, would it? Okay. What if one person, one of you, preached just one day in Champaign-Urbana, 40 days more and, and Champaign-Urbana is overthrown? And everybody turned in repentance. Praise God, His Spirit is moving and the gospel is being proclaimed and God is working in the hearts of people and they're responding in repentance and faith. God, thank you for the work that you're doing. We are in awe of you. I would hope that would be our response. Awe of God for the work that He's sovereignly doing in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. That would be amazing. Wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't... Wouldn't you be in awe or shouldn't we be in awe of God working in that way? But yet here, because of self-centeredness, anger is the result. But if we're centered on God, then it's God to you be the glory. And I'm in awe of you. Because if we see God working that way and we're centered on Him, we're focused on Him, our attention is on Him, the light of our life is shining on Him and not on self and not on us, we're going to be in awe of His great work. Jonah is centered on self, and anger is the result in his life. And when we are self-centered instead of God-centered, we judge God's actions by our desires. Isn't that exactly what Jonah was doing? Isn't that exactly what Jonah was doing? Yes. Thank you. Why? You didn't give the answer. Whoever said you're welcome over here. Okay. I was saying thank you to Keith because he said the answer. Okay. All right. Free cup of coffee right back there for you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Jonah's judging God's actions by his own desires. Because Jonah's desire was for Nineveh to be destroyed because ultimately Jonah hated the Assyrians. Jonah hated the Ninevites. And he wanted them to be destroyed. And so he judged God's actions based on his own desires. Gosh! What arrogance! When we judge God's actions by our desires. And arrogance is the right word because that results when we're self-centered, not God-centered. Stop right now and think. When have you been, when have you judged God's actions by your desires? Either 
his actions toward you or toward another? When have you been angry at God for what he's done, controlled, ordained? Why is that? Why have you been angry at him for that? Why have you despised what God has done? It's because you've been centered on self and not on him. Because when we're centered on God, he receives the glory for his work. What he does. He receives the glory because we're centered on him. You see, when, we, when we're centered on self, we see God through our circumstances. Our circumstances become the filter through which we see the Almighty. And I want to tell you that when we look at God through the filter of our circumstances, we will always have a skewed, inaccurate, false view of God. We will always misunderstand Him, His character, and His actions when we view Him through the filter, the window, the film of our circumstances. No, you see, the way to do that is to see our circumstances through the filter, the film, the window of God. When we're centered on Him, when we're centered on God, when our lives are focused on Him, when He has all of our hearts and all of our attention and all, and all of our desires are on Him, then when we look at our circumstances, we see them in an entirely different light. We are then in awe of God in the midst of our circumstances, not in all of our circumstances in the presence of God. It's, it, it becomes, it's the opposite. So not only was there the fatal flaw of knowledge about God not impacting knowing Him, not only was there this fatal flaw of self-centeredness instead of God-centeredness, but then there was a judgmental attitude. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And I want to submit to you that the reason Jonah went outside the city to see what would happen to it is that he still held out hope that it would be destroyed. The text doesn't explicitly say that, but it, I, I, I believe it's clearly implied. I think that's clearly implied in the text. Why else would Jonah go outside of the city and then watch it? Unless he expected something to happen. Now, if they repent and God relents, what's going to happen to the city? Nothing. So what's there to see? Nothing, right? But he went there to see something, right? So the only something he wants to see is the destruction of the city. That's what he's there for because Jonah has a very judgmental attitude. And now, you know, only God can judge. That's the fatal flaw that Jonah has. He forgets that only God is the judge. Only God can judge. Now, be careful. Okay, That doesn't mean we can't announce sin. Jonah does that, right? I mean, he goes into the city and declares God's judgment. So we can declare sin. We can point out sin. We can do that. As Christians, we have that responsibility of pointing out sin because it's not us pointing it out. It's God pointing it out through His Word and we're just pointing people to God's Word that points to their sin. And not only can we do that, we should do that. 
And, and, and we can confront people who are in sin. We, in fact, we have that responsibility. You know, it, isn't that essentially what proclaiming the gospel is? Isn't it confronting first people in their sin? Yes, and then pointing them to Christ where they can have the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life? Yes, true. So, I mean, we, we, can, we can announce and point out sin. We can confront sin. But what we can't do is decide whether someone is worthy of salvation or not. That's judgment. And that is exactly what Jonah did. He had a judgmental attitude toward the Ninevites. First, he didn't even want them to get the message. So he went in the other direction. How many times do we run the other way because we just don't want to share the gospel with that person? You know, I experienced this yesterday. I experienced this yesterday. Um, we were in the car, and uh, Katie and Lindsay were with me, so they can testify to this, because I confessed it to them almost immediately. I would rather have just not had this thought. But we're sitting there, and we're, we're on Green Street. There's a stoplight, and these two guys, you know, two college students, are walking across the crosswalk in front of me, and they're carrying this life-sized cutout um, of a barely-dressed woman advertising Keystone beer. And my immediate thought was, gosh, they're idiots. Oh, I I can't stand that about them. They're going to find out one day that they're, what they're chasing is a lie. Did you, did you hear my attitude? Where was my compassion for their lostness? Where was my desire to share the gospel with them? I'm telling you, it wasn't there. Because all I had at that moment, at that moment, all I had in my heart for them was judgment. I just wanted them to find out the hard way that they were being stupid, that they don't get it. Instead of, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with them. God, help them to see the truth. God, I pray they won't be deceived anymore. I, I wish that would have been my first response, but it wasn't. Um, I would like to think that that was my later response. Um, and next time I want that to be my first response. But, even, but, but at that moment, I had the same kind of judgmental attitude that Jonah expressed here in, in chapter 4. And then Jonah also, the next fatal flaw, is that Jonah forgot God's mercies in his own life. Jonah forgot the examples, the demonstrations, the times he himself had experienced God's mercy and grace in his own life. The ship in the storm, right? Jonah's on the ship, running from God, moving opposite of God. God sends a storm, and Jonah and all of the sailors could have died in the storm. But God rescued him from the storm, and he rescued him by... A giant fish swallowing him. And of course, that was a short-term rescue. Because if Jonah had stayed in the belly of the fish, his life would have been cut short. Do we all recognize that? Right, you know, you don't 
live a long, extended life in the belly of a fish. You survive a few days, okay? And God caused the fish to vomit. I just like saying vomit. Vomit Jonah out on the dry land. Oh, yeah. And then there's the preaching in Nineveh. Remember, Nineveh, the Assyrians are an enemy of Israel. Jonah is an Israelite. And he goes to the capital city of his enemy and says, 40 days more and Nineveh is overthrown. Without God working in the hearts of the Ninevites, bringing them to repentance, what do you think would have happened to Jonah? Hmm? They would have killed him. They'd have cut his head off and stuck it on a pole outside the city. Because that was actually what Nineveh often did to its enemies. They would cut their heads off and stick them on a pike out at the city gate as a warning to others who might be enemies and want to come near. Okay, that was, that was a regular practice in Nineveh. All right. But God protected Jonah even in the proclaiming of the message in the capital city of his enemy. Almost said enema. That would have been bad. But no, I said it anyway. Dang. Filter, filter. Okay. The plant and the heat, right? The plant and the heat, okay? God ordained the plant to grow, to offer shade relief to Jonah. And then God ordained sovereignly, ordained a worm, a worm, a worm doing the will of God. You know, that sounds kind of like us. A, a worm doing the will of God chews through the plant, it withers, dies. All of that to teach Jonah a lesson. The, the whole deal with the, the plant coming up one day and disappearing the next, you know what that was there for? It was to, to work on Jonah's heart so Jonah would see the truth about his own condition. Even then, even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion and anger, at God, God's trying to bring him back to himself. God's trying to bring him to repentance with this clear illustration. God's trying to expose the sin in Jonah's heart so Jonah will turn back to God. Even then, God is showing Jonah mercy and extending grace. And Jonah forgets about all of this. He doesn't remember it. Because if he remembered it, his attitude would be different. Go back to the guys crossing the street in front of me with the cardboard cutout thing. God saved me from worse. God has saved me from far worse. Far more disgusting, despicable sin God has brought me through. And probably will again before my life is through. I forgot that in that moment. I pray that I will never forget it again. But we're prone to forget, like the prophet. And then Jonah's final 
fatal flaw. And really, this fatal flaw is sort of a culmination of everything. Jonah forgot that salvation belongs to God. I think the main theme of the book of Jonah is that salvation belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to me even as a recipient. Even as a recipient of God's salvation, it still doesn't belong to me, meaning I didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. I didn't win it. I didn't even choose it. God gave it. God granted it. God chose me. It's that simple. It's that clear. So as a recipient of of salvation, it's not mine. It's still God's. He's granted it. He's given it. He's chosen it. I'm grateful. But also, salvation doesn't belong to me in that I can't give it. It's not up to me to decide who who is saved and who is not. Who receives God's salvation and who does not. That's not up to me. Um, I don't save anybody. Now, does God use me in it? Absolutely. Does He call us to, to a ministry of reconciliation? Absolutely. Do we have a part and a, and a ministry and a responsibility? Absolutely, yes. But we have that responsibility without prejudice. That's the whole point. God, God grants His mercy and grace without any prejudice to all peoples. All tribes, all tongues, all nations. <laughs> people of, well, you know, people who don't know their right hand from their left. That's, that means people have no moral compass. That, that, that's, what, that's what God is saying to Jonah when he says the city's full of these people, 120,000, that don't know their right hand from their left hand. You know, what that, that, that's a metaphor or simile. I always get those mixed up. For having no moral compass. They can't, they have no ability to choose morally. Isn't that all of us? But yet we look at others and say, they can choose better than they can. We, we look at some people and we say, their moral compass is straighter than theirs. I'm gonna go over here to these people whose moral compass is a little straighter. That's prejudice. And when we, when we express that kind of prejudice with the gospel, then we say salvation belongs to me. No, salvation belongs to God, and God grants it without prejudice. It's according only to His sovereign will, and His sovereign will shows no prejudice. Today, are you working and moving with God or opposite of Him? What's your grasp of God's grace? Are you meditating on God's grace, mining it for its glorious truths, believing it, and living it? Do you get it? Are you working and moving with God instead of opposite Him? Don't be you know, like the forgetful prophet. But instead, make sure your knowledge 
about God impacts your relationship with Him. Because knowing God is far more than knowing facts or truths about Him. It's believing, internalizing, and living those. See to it that you're centered on God and not on self. Because when we become centered on self, everything falls apart. How about that judgmental attitude? Just get rid of that, okay? Remember God's mercies in your own life. Celebrate God's mercies in your own life. And never, never, never forget salvation belongs to God. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you. God, thank you that salvation belongs to you. God, I pray that we would begin to understand all that implies and that we would live that truth out every day. In Christ's name, amen.